Hey, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. Now, I'm sorry I sound like a nose right now, but that's because it is a special time of year for me, and that is the changing of the seasons, which... Okay, so there's either one of two probable causes for me experiencing allergy-like symptoms at the changing of the seasons. One, it allergies in, like, a really non-specific way. Like, it, it happens when it starts to get cold, and it happens when it starts to get warm in a way that seems to suggest either I'm allergic to two very specific things at those two points, or one thing that <laughs> exists at those two points, or I'm allergic to, like, the barometric pressure change causes an allergic reaction. And then there is the other weirdly plausible reason that someone posed to me today in, like, a allergy-fueled rage where I was like, because of course I'm allergic to the weather. Um, They said, oh, hey, you've had a bunch of brain surgeries. Your brain's not normal anymore. That could have something to do with it. All of the things that happen in allergies are fine motor related and, you know, your brain, your brain could feel pressure real weird. That could be a thing. For those of you listening who have no idea what I'm talking about, um, I am a two-time brain cancer survivor. Yep, that's right, two-time. And, uh, going round for round in the ring with brain cancer tends to fuck you up. In a way that no one, no one knows what's going to happen to you, but it's theorized, and it's long as it's better than the theories, which are usually, you'll die, you're doing pretty okay. So I'm doing pretty okay. But thank you to everybody who listened to my episode on Kid Niver from last week. That was, that, it was kind of fun to sit down and watch a whole show that I had never seen, like, I'd seen part of Kid Niver, like, I think the first three or four episodes, but I'd never gone all the way through it, and it was a, it was an interesting ride, and I had fun doing it for the podcast, um, and I was pleasantly surprised there was almost, only 12 episodes, I sat down, I'm like, okay, we're gonna shotgun 24 episodes in, like, a, in less than a week, we can see how this goes on my tiny trash man brain. Um, but, also, I also want to point out again that if you really like this show and you want to, like, tell me so, you can do a couple things. You can, um, you can like it on whatever podcast app you use. Um, you can subscribe to it on whatever podcast you use. You can leave a review, a five-star review. Always helps on any of the review platforms, once again, any of the podcast apps you use, or you can go to my actual, like, the actual page for the podcast outside of iTunes or wherever you are on Anchor, and you can pledge to give me, like, 99 cents a month, which who knows how much of that I'll get, but it would be cool. I'm not saying you have to, I'm not saying I would ever stop doing this or stop putting this podcast out. Because that's not why I do it, but it would be it would be kind of neat if someone would end up doing that. Because at least I would know, like, oh, someone's listening to me, and someone values 
my stupid internet op- opinion to add the beardo on the internet. Not an old white beardo, but a beardo. Like, I've got a beard. If you've ever seen older podcasts where I used to post them as, like, side-by-side videos, I'm doing with my friend Lauren. Hi, Lauren. I'll see you in, a, like, a week. Um, I, <laughs> I'm going to visit my friend Lauren in another state. It'll be fun. Um, but I, I, I have a, I have a, I have a healthy beard, is what I'm trying to say. But, we're not here to talk about my friend Lauren or my healthy beard, as much as I could do five podcasts about those things. Um, we are here to talk about one serious heck of an anime movie, and that movie is Ghost in the Shell, the original.
Now, I, as with many things in my formative anime years, did not come across Ghost of the Shell of, I, I guess the best word to use, the best word to use it are my own accord. I, my, my mom actually told me about it. She said, I read something the other day that said this was supposed to be one of the best sci-fi action movies of all times, animated or otherwise. And it's also supposed to be one of the anime movies was the single best anime movies ever made. And when I watched it, I was enamored with it, because cyberpunk as a genre had, to that point and still is, always been my favorite genre of entertainment. I think that cyberpunk at its best, and Ghost of the Shell certainly does this, takes the dream of our reality and smashes it into the wall of the probable reality. And what I mean by that is we all have really fancy phones and really fancy smartwatches and iPads and amazing little laptop computers that do everything under the sun. We carry around what people in the 80s when computers were first getting their go at it, people in the 70s actually, would refer to as beyond a supercomputer in our pockets every day. And that's just your average Joe Smo who got a couple bucks and some time to go buy this stuff. If you really get into it, like um like actually many people in the anime inter- in the anime sphere have, then you get in some really complicated, amazing shit that yes, skirts intellectual property laws, but is also amazing thing an amazing thing, like like BitTorrent, like Bitcoin, like uh, I say Bitcoin because cryptocurrency people are insane, if you haven't noticed lately. Um, but the thing with the thing that Cyberpunk does at its best, and Ghost of the Shell joins in this, is that it says, okay, but here are all the problems with all of that. You, you know about all of the benefits to technology, but what if you, as a disabled person, got a shiny new robot body. And I, I, I identify with this as a disabled person. Who does that body belong to? Does it belong to you? Do you have enough money to afford that body? Because probably not. Um, and just so you know, I'm going to branch out a little bit here. Because Ghost of the Shell, if you don't already know, is not just a core movie anymore. It, ha- it was... Oh, it is a it is a multimedia franchise with the best of them, and lots of people forget that that Ghost in the Shell is this enduring decade-long franchised property. It has everything from action figures to video games to multiple TV shows to comic books to I think there's a novel somewhere in that. Pantheon, but and they don't all they don't all focus they don't, they aren't all on the same timeline they don't all focus on the same thing they largely focus on the same characters which you meet in Ghost of the Shell in Ghost of the Shell I think it came out in 1989 
Um, which is just the travesty that I don't know that, but I'm pretty sure it came out in 1989. The original Ghost in the Shell movie sets up, it builds the walls of the sandbox that the property itself will play in for the rest of its existence, basically. And one of the ways it does that is it, there's a, there's a line early in the movie when, um, Major Motoko Kusanagi, who is, who is always our protagonist in a Ghost of the Shell show, she's not always the protagonist of a particular storyline or a particular episode, but she's always the protagonist of the actual, of the actual whole show itself, is, is drinking beer after going diving on a boat with, uh, Bato. Bato is, like, this former army ranger turned, like, special agent for this, for the military operate for the government-run military op that they are part of called Section 9, and they're called Public Security Section 9, and they're, the idea is that they are a paramilitary, or, that they are a military organization branch of basically the Japan police, the, the Japan National Guard, for all intents and purposes, and they function as police, and they deal with things that everybody else can't deal with, and they are necessary because of the technological advancements of the time, which is like, I forget when this takes place, but it takes place, like, decades and decades in the future, so it, it go it gets far enough away from reality that it's still plausible. But major, the major is saying like, you know, we, if we decide that we don't want to do this anymore and we just want to go earn a living somewhere else, we have to give back our bodies and all that's left is a brain case and what's the point? And the and if I'm being really overly analytical here, trust me, I, A, I'm not alone. Lots of people have overanalyzed this movie. But I, I actually do a, a, pa- a panel at anime conventions that encompasses this movie p- uh, as part of the panel about um, disability and anime, basically. And my the reason, but the reason why I bring this up is not just because... It's a bright future where it's a dis- where a disabled person like me or any disabled person, physically disabled person, would be able to essentially transfer themselves into a full-on working model of their own body, which would be amazing. It's more that what I was just alluding to earlier that the way the world is set up still exist. The way the world was set up back in history when you and I are just bumping around and fleshies walking around still exists going forward. That hasn't changed and in some cases it's gotten worse. Um and in the in the case of Ghost of the Shell, now this isn't brought up in the original movie, it's actually and I watched the first episode of um Arise, Ghost of the Shell Rise, which is the I think it's the 10th anniversary thing they made. Um, 
And it's brought up there in like a short scene where they say, you know, prosthetic costs far, full prosthetic maintenance costs far exceed that of even even higher than average healthcare costs. So of course we're gonna hang on to you like you're an, our indentured servant because you cost a lot. So we should get something out of it. And while that while that is presented in this like techno babble of a moment in Arise, it's also presented in the original Ghost of the Shell property. So that that show extrapolates this whole meaning and this whole consequence for its characters out of this one out of like a couple words of dialogue in the original animated in the original animated feature film which is amazing if you think about the kinds of properties that can make an original that have made their original essentially text for lack of a better word that um, translatable down the line, it's pretty far and f- it's pretty few and far between. I mean, even Pokemon, much past the second generation, started messing with the with the kind of canon formula of Pokemon. And while that's not a bad thing, it's admirable if you can figure out a way to make your cause and effect reality apply evenly across all properties. And even and to give you an idea of what that also could also translate to, if you were going to watch the second Ghost in the Shell movie, the canonically second Ghost in the Shell movie, Ghost in the Shell 2, Innocence, I... You don't a you don't need to watch this movie. It's not required viewing. It's mostly Mar- Mamara Oshi having a real fun time with computer graphics and like Bassett hounds in a really self indulgent way, and then eventually gets around to its plot. But its plot essentially involves what can go wrong when the body and the mind are. A separate thing, so to speak, and it, Ghost of the Shell gets into that. Ghost of the Shell, the original original property, definitely gets into that more than a little bit. But in a sense, it's almost like it had more to say on that topic, if that makes any sense. Um, but the the movie is the. Original Ghost of the Shell movie is an interesting thing because it is amazingly iconic. It is amazingly beautiful and has some really thoughtful meditations on what it means to be human, what it means to be flesh and blood, what it means to be a certain gender, what it means to be coded as a certain gender because in many ways and like coded it basically means it's written to remind you of a thing so if 
something coded male, that means that that, if a character is coded male, that means that character is written to kind of quietly remind you, like, hey, I'm a dude. Did I mention I'm a dude? Because I'm a dude. The character of Makoto Kusanagi is actually lots of times coded both male and female. And even in the both movie and all the subsequent properties afterwards, it's alluded to that it's her choice to keep being female. She could just get a male body and it wouldn't it wouldn't matter. In fact, people would respect her more. But because that was part of her original identity when she was cyberized, which is the term they use for transferring a human to a non-human form, she was a girl. So she continued to be a girl. I'm sorry if I'm a little snotty. Once again, it's allergy season for me. But, I, and even and even after Bato, I, I think it's in um, standalone complex. He's like, why don't you just, he, the phrase he uses is, why don't you switch to a male chassis? People would respect you more. And I think she does something like, hack his hand and make him punch himself. And that's the other thing about Ghost of the Shell. Uh, first the movie and then the subsequent, all the subsequent properties, it's, it's very smart about how it connects the dots on the tech that it decides to show you. If it shows you that somebody can have robotic eyes, it then shows you that the the consequence of having those eyes is that they are um they are what's the um what's the word? They I guess I'll just use they are hackable. Um or capable of being um it uh, capable of someone in, intruding on their vision basically. And as a result of that, they get to do all kinds of cool, like, fantasy scenario stuff, like the scene in um, Arise when Bato and the Major are having a fight, and she continuously hacks his eyes so that he gets all fucking disoriented and loses as a result. Or the scene in the standalone complex when she hacks his hand and makes him punch him. And then, of course, um, in the original show, she patches into a, their, like, paddy wagon, their, like, police van, and takes the wheel from Togusa. And with that, we've come to another interesting part of the Ghost of Shell universe kind of the counterweight to all of this, and that is Togusa. And Togusa is if characters like the Major and Bato are or, or like the Major and Bato who we've met so far 
are almost completely c cybernetic. They're as at least as much human as they are. They are at least as much robotics as they are human, probably more. The major is what's referred to as full cyborg, which means she is, I think it's over 90% cyberized, and I think Bato is too. But, um, what's his face? Togusa is probably over 80 or 90% just flesh and blood. He he has no... He, he has a slight brain augmentation that basically works as a communicator and, like, a patching device, but that's it. Everything else is all him. And in addition to that, to kind of drive the point home, to drive his, like, Luddite master of the universe-ness home, they write him so that he doesn't use the kind of standard issue fucking go get a giant machine gun everybody else uses. He uses a six shooter. And they always draw attention to this. And the reason why they draw attention to it all the time is actually really smart. It's because they're demonstrating that his gun is... He uses that gun because he knows it's dependable. And everybody always gives them shit about it, and they're like, well, it's my ass on the line, and I don't want to get my ass shot off by some idiot while you're reloading your six-shooter text. Or, or something along those lines. They give him, like, snotty bullshit for it all the time. But he says, I don't... I don't... I want a dependable gun. Those guns jam up all the time. And then, what they usually do is, at some point, they show the fact that somebody's gun jams up and he saves them because he has a time-tested six-shooter. Now, this may just be, like, goofy anime, what, like, Ghost of the Shell, anti-tech, whatever it is, but it's actually really true. And the thing I would point you to in reality is, if you are producing some kind of media, or you're covering an event, you don't go out and you buy new equipment for that event, because then you would have to learn, you'd have to learn how to use it, you'd have to learn all this stuff. For example, when I started this podcast, I recorded on a little $6 stupid microphone. And I now record on a nice, beautiful, black, blue, blue snowball ice mic. Like, the standard, like a standard, beautiful podcast mic. But, I made sure that I knew how to use it, and I knew it was working, before I started recording the podcast, because... If I just, like, went in half-cocked, I'd probably end up recording the thing either on my headphone mic or my internal mic on my MacBook. And that doesn't do any of us any good, now does it? This way, I know that by testing it first, I know that it works. But if it ever fails, you bet I go back to the little $6 dollar store special. But... 
the difference with this show is that it, with Ghost in the Shell, the movie, and also the show, is that it shows you that, and it shows you that, and it demonst- it lays all that out for you, but it doesn't want to make the choice for you. It doesn't want to make, it doesn't want to make, Ghost of the Shell doesn't want to paint the picture that one thing is good and one thing is bad. It wants to paint the kind of gray wash that is the reality. And like I said, at its best, Cyberpunk is taking dreams and smacking them into the hard wall of reality. And that's what Ghost of the Shell does kind of the best. Is that it shows... This is the reality of these characters, and in the movie, what it does is it takes Matoko, who is this kind of, she is this extremely capable, extremely talented law enforcement, like, like chief officer of a division of law enforcement, Who's looking for something? She's looking for. She doesn't know what she's looking for, but she thinks it has something to do with her sense of self and the idea that she needs to be able to prove herself at to prove to herself that she is an individual and not just. And this is gonna get really techno babbly and cyberpunky. I'm sorry in advance. She doesn't want to feel like she's just a collective of data that just somehow holds itself together but could be broken at any point. And the entire time you're following this you're following this saga of this criminal called the Puppet Master and then there's also this side thing called Project 2501. And if you've ever watched a Ghost of the Shell episode a ghost of the show, anything, and they use specifically the term 2501 somehow, and you're like, why are they calling that out like I should know what it is? That, it's probably a reference either in part or in whole to the original movie. Um, but Basically, Project 2501 ends up being the Puppet Master, like they thought, but the Puppet Master ends up being a AI program that, gave, that gained self-awareness. And it wants to merge with someone, but it found somebody who it wants to merge with, and you guessed it, it found Matoko. And the thing you should know about the Major here is that she is a... As they say, they mention this in... Um, Arise, specifically because Arise is supposed to be a prequel to how Section 9 happened. It is supposed to be the thing that occurred before they got to the original Ghost of the Shell movie. And then the original Ghost of the Shell movie... I mean, if you want me to put the timeline together, it goes Arise, original movie, Innocence... Uh, I th- standalone complex. So, so stand- the whole standalone complex series, 
and then I think so Solid State Society. Actually, scratch that. Is Ghost of Shell the new movie between Standalone Complex and, um. Actually, go go. So it's Arise, Ghost of the Shell the new movie, which is was released in 2015, the 1998 classic, Innocence, Standalone Complex. Solid State Society, like, in a row. Like, if you going, to, like, if you want to make a timeline of what you should watch in what order chronologically, that would be what I would suggest because that will give you the whole kind of formative story and then into the continuing adventures kind of thing. And, um, and also the manga contains. Slices of everything I just mentioned, but as an individual, but as like a manga volume, manga volume, which are really good in their own right, but they are also they also have something that the show really lacks, and that's because I think when people saw the Ghost of the Shell movie, they were really struck by the kind of dark, serious tone it had compared to lots of other anime, but the Ghost of the Shell manga is really funny because it it has comedy and it has comedy elements. Like that is a Motoko who is, you know, drinking with her friends after work and doing stupid shit. That is a Motoko who gets pissed off because they call her off of their like twenty four hour day-long cherry blossom viewing festival. Um, a lot of the, like, light-hearted things you see in the Ghost of the Shell property as a whole are taken, actually, not from the original movie, but from the manga. Because the manga, like I said, like I just said, is a lot goofier. So it makes, it makes more room for them to have, kind of, fun with the premise and, like, make weird snide quips um, now, the unfortunate part about Ghost of the Shell, and I do think it's unfortunate, as much as it may be integral to the show, is the show has this tendency, and it's, it's managed to do it well and avoid it and put it in places where it feels, where it feels like they belong. It has this hypersexual nature to it sometimes. I mean, the open, the opening of the Ghost of the Shell movie is a naked lady diving off a building shooting diplomat through a window with a gun she got from... with a holster... With gun she pulled out of a thigh holster. You, you don't get much more, like, fetish-inducing than that. And this... That scene is so important... That when they made the 2000s, I think it's 2017, the 2017 live action movie with Scarlett Johansson, of which we'll get to in a minute, in a minute, since we're we're dealing with all of this thing apparently. Although I am still getting myself licensed to talk about the each property in the pantheon separately. They. They recreate, that was the first scene they set out to recreate because it is such an iconic piece of 
not just anime anime history, but film history, that that movie is like an homage to the Ghost of the Shell as a whole, and there was no way they could make that movie in the way they did without having that scene. But that said, like I like I've said before, I launched that rant. The film can have this weird. The, the property kind of this weird sexual vibe to it. And that actually does come from the manga because, um, Mamoru Oshii has a thing with lesbian oil sex, I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say lesbian oil sex. That sounds right. And if you, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, type in Mamoru Oshii um, illustration, and you'll probably get, like, you'll get, like, basset hounds, and, like, ladies slipping and sliding all over other ladies, and it's, normally I'm all for, you know, boobs at a fun time, believe me, I've been watching anime for years, if I wasn't, I would be turned off, I'd be extremely turned off and have thought by now, but... It's more that when it when it shows up in the manga itself and in certain parts of the main story, it feels gratuitous. And it, it feels less like you're there with the character, more like all of a sudden you're leering at them. And if you are a perfect example of this in the Ghost of the Shell universe, then use it, then go look at the shower scene from the first episode of Arise. And there is a per- But the other thing is that it's kind of six of one, half a dozen the other, because why you do feel like you're leering at her, you realize that something is leering at her later in that episode that you were kind of taking the viewpoint of. So it makes more sense. But it's not... It could have been done a different way, is what I'm saying. And oftentimes, in the standalone complex show, because it was made for TV, although it's like, just barely gets in there, you see that it was done a different way. They have an episode where they talk about, basically, something they call interceptors, which are cameras you can implant inside people, and they'll see what they see, even though they don't know about it. And they could have gone horrible ways with that. They did be like, oh, look at this guy cheating on his wife. But they they t- they tell you that story without being like, oh, naked lady! Which is, which is nice, because it... It is easy to make entertainment with certain things, like nudity, bombastic action, the Huge, huge explosions. Those things are easy to make entertaining. I mean, look at how many action movies and strip clubs there are in the world. They're easy to make entertaining. And I will cop to loving a lot of that stuff. I talk. I have a whole episode on this podcast about Ichi and how you shouldn't be ashamed of liking Ichi stuff because it is just as valid. And I do agree with that. But I also 
saying that Ghost of the Shell, more often than not, and as best of time, tries to tell stories in a more difficult way that end up being more fulfilling for us as the viewer. Um, and the original movie is certainly no exception to that. Now, the in the original movie, they tell a really complex story about basically two people coming together and becoming one conscious person. And in the original version of the movie, they give you the scene that tells you what that other person is, what that other thing is that eventually merges with Matoko. But in the remastered part version, I'm pretty sure they take that scene out. And the whole movie makes no sense. And the reason I know that is because I introduced this movie to two of my friends who are really into, like, cyberpunk and sci-fi. And they came out of that movie like, what the fuck just happened? It was cool, and I liked it. But what the fuck just happened? I'm like, ah, oh, goddammit, I need to explain this movie. I need to explain Ghost of the Shell to you, because... They ripped that scene out of the second thing, and they also covered it with all sorts of orange garbage. But, so, I mean, and this this series has had ups and downs. Innocence is, a lumpster, is in my opinion, a lovable dumpster fire. <laughs> like, uh, it's a ghost of the shell property, but it's just not, not up to snuff. It's just not. But for, for the most part, the things that exist of Ghost of the Shell are these kinds of masterworks in the medium, and they are really great. And there goes my mic. Um, but the... But with, with any property, you have a couple duds every, every so often. But... So eventually what happened in the original movie is that... Matoko merges with um, Project 2501, the puppet master, and goes on her merry way. And that's how they end the, end the movie. There, there is a fight, there is a climactic fight scene, there is a like, dramatic, there are dramatic, is a dramatic crescendo. But it, like I said before, Ghost of Shell excels at telling, at telling amazing stories in a way that is not the easiest way to do it. And also they excel in having like these amazing like pinnacle moments of animation. Like if you so if you watch Kaminari and I never thought about this until I saw this movie until I rewatched this movie for like the upteenth time yesterday night in in preparation for this mo- for this podcast. But if you've seen Cabinary in the Iron Fortress, and you've seen the train girl just, like, rip back the thing and her muscly back just, like, ignite a new fetish on the internet <laughs> of my sexuality is anime backs, the original of that is Ghost of the Shell. And I'm talking specifically about the scene where she rips the top off a tank. And also rips her own arms off. Because right before that scene, you see every fiber of every muscle in her back just, like, 
go full-on JoJo's and just, like, extrude to the maximum degree it can, and she tried to pull it off, pulls her own arms off, and falls off the side of the thing. Now, if you're like, Alex, that's every Ghost in Shell property. And you'd be right. It is. It is literally every Ghost in Shell property. It is the shot they recreate in every Ghost of the Shell property. And they re- and what what's interesting is they usually recreate it in like this lovingly handcrafted way at the exact same time and for the exact same purpose and reason as every other as the first Ghost of the Shell. Uh, it, that's true in Standalone, that's true in Arise, that's true in uh, the new movie, that's true in the live-action movie. I'm pretty sure it's also true in, um, what's it called? Um, Solid State Society. But, Ghost of the Shell as a thing is a really fascinating, unique piece of, not even, not even anime, but science fiction. It is one of the, like, like Akira, it has a, it has a critical reception that is beyond just the anime world. It is the... Like Akira... And once again, like Akira is... It is this, it is a great ambassador for the medium and showing people like, oh, you think all anime is Pokemon or Digimon or Yokai Watch or shows that are designed to sell you toys? Boom. Here's this thing. Boom. Here's Akira. Boom, here's Ghost of the Shell. Watch these, and you'll see what the medium can do when it, it's in the hands of a talented, creative person. And I haven't talked about Akira yet, but I probably should, right? Like, I should talk about Akira, right? I'd have to watch Akira again. I could do that. Maybe I'll do that. But, um... Anyway, so, it's just, just, I think we're going to end it here mostly because I'm having issues breathing, because once again, for the final time, allergies, but it's, I can't stress enough, if you have a way to watch this movie, I think you can watch, I know you can watch a version of it on Hulu, but... I'm not sure what version of it you can watch on Hulu. I think it's both versions, but I would implore you to watch the original. And if you want to watch it sub to dub, it doesn't really matter to me. Uh, lots of people like the subtitle version because it there are little moments in it that the dub changes because it was it was it was the early 90s and it was a manga video dub 
And it was... It was just a different time. And they liked fucking with things. I mean... This is from the same... This is from the same decade when they... Fucked around with Sailor Moon because they're like... We don't want to explain weird... Weird gender politics issues to... Nine-year-old girls. So we're just gonna like... Make characters not lesbians, and make characters sisters, and make characters... Coded definitely man, or definitely woman, instead of just leaving them as the creator intended. But, um, yeah, so you can... I, I, to me, the changes that I've seen, while they do add to the whole of the universe of the movie... They don't subtract from the initial viewing experience, so I would say watch whatever suits your taste best. And, um, yeah, so definitely check out Ghost of the Shell if you haven't. Um, it is one of my favorite anime movies. It has been since the day I saw it, I think, on VHS. Um, and if you can find the trailer for Ghost of the Shell, I strongly encourage it. Because it takes all of the, like, awesomeness of that movie and crams it together to give you absolutely nothing. <laughs> but it's like, now go watch it! But on that note, if you like this podcast, I have been Alex, this is the Bin Lunchbox Radio, and if you like this podcast, you can subscribe to it on your podcast app, your podcast app of choice. Um, if you really like this podcast, you can do a couple things. You can offer. You can, I can offer you the incentive to give me ninety nine cents a month, as little as ninety nine cents a month, in by clicking the description below and hitting the like support this podcast button on the page it takes you to you can also leave a five star review on your podcast app of choice that um, always helps but until next time I will talk to you later Too. What you looking at? I wanna see! I wanna see! I wanna see!